Welcome to the Other Bundesliga podcast. I'm your host, Tom Midler, and I'm joined by the Other Bundesliga team, Lee Wingate and Simon Clark, as we discuss the Austrian action in the UEFA Champions League and Europa League on match day three. A very warm welcome to this episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast. That's right, it is the podcast for everything Austrian football related in the English language. What better place to be? Well, we've got a new home, just a bit of housekeeping. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash other Bundesliga, that's where we've relocated to. You can find all our episodes on there and on loads of different podcast providers online. Feel free to let us know any of your thoughts about the pod, any questions you want us to answer on the pod as well, and anything you'd like to hear from us, or just let us know where you found us and where you listen to the pod. You can do that all on Twitter as well, at Other Bundesliga. But, as we said in the little introductory jingle, this episode is about the European Match Day 3. One game in the Champions League, two games in the Europa League. That's what we'll be covering today. And what better place to start than in the UEFA Champions League with FC Salzburg against Napoli. As you can hear, here at the Red Bull Arena in Salzburg, the atmosphere ahead of Salzburg against Napoli is absolutely electric. They met not too long ago in the Europa League, but it's a massive step up tonight for the Champions League. Erling Braut Holland returns to the starting lineup for Salzburg. All eyes will be on him. Can he continue his incredible goal scoring form this year? Plenty of other goal scorers in the side as well, though. Patson Dacca starts tonight, nine goals in the Bundesliga already. Goals from all over the pitch for Salzburg at home in Austria this year. They're not struggling to score in the Champions League either, but they'll need some goals tonight in what promises to be a massive game in this group against their closest rivals for second place, probably Napoli. So far in Salzburg's matches, of course, they had a lightning start against Genk banging in the goals in the first half. An amazing introduction to the Champions League against Liverpool away at Anfield. It was the complete opposite. They were 3-0 down before they you know, settled in the game at all. What about the start phase of this one against Napoli? Personally, I think that Salzburg played really, really well in the opening half. They were by far the better team out of the two, but they couldn't make their fantastic play count with a goal. And it was Haaland's goal chalked out for VAR. I mean, yeah, it was correctly ruled out for VAR. And then Dries Mertens opened the scoring with a lovely a lovely run down the right, a drilled shot at Stankovic's near post. <laughs> he should have saved it. I think if, you get, if you're getting beaten in the near post, there will always be question marks. And then Haaland popped up with the penalty. It was a deserved penalty. Uh, credit to the referee for that decision. And uh, yeah, Haaland, he's 19 years old. And I don't think anyone in that stadium thought he was going to miss. He's That's complete composure. Yeah, he was the second youngest player in Champions League history to score a penalty. Can you name the youngest 
It was about 10 years ago for one of the biggest teams in Europe then and still now. Has he gone on to, to, to bigger and greater things? If you count Stoke as bigger and better things, then no. Is it Bojan? Is it Bojan Wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great call though, Tom. <laughs> well, hopefully Haaland doesn't have his career. <laughs> but um, the yeah. first half, it was a pulsating first half. It really was. I thought they were quite creative in the first half. Some good link-up play. It was the people we expected. Haaland was, was looking dangerous up top. He-Chan and Minamino were combining really well in the final third with a lot of creative passing and a lot of really good movement. And it looked like at times Napoli didn't really know how to handle them. Daka was the surprise inclusion in the starting lineup for Jesse Marsh's side as well. And I thought he had a good first half too. Plenty of shots on target, plenty of tests for the goalkeeper. But that was a key thing in the first half, wasn't it? Alex Mere, the Napoli goalkeeper, had an excellent first 45. And the score at the break was 1-1. And it really could have been quite different for Salzburg at that stage. So it's difficult to judge that. But um, it was certainly a good effort up against Napoli up to that point. What did you think about the opening goal, which was Dries Mertens scoring for Napoli? He is a player that uh, can, can do fantastic things, isn't he? He's scored so many goals for Napoli and he's such a creative, fast, quick, tricky player. And yeah, he, he sold Salzburg down the right, didn't he? And a brilliant finish. And the crowd was really into it. Uh, Salzburg's performance and, and the goal kind of took a little bit of the edge off the crowd a little bit. They were surprised that Salzburg went down. Do you think it's fair to say that the goal was against the run of play for Napoli? Yeah, I think so. I think it was against the run of play. And when you're playing a team, the quality of Napoli and, and, and the, the amount of talent that they have, you can't sleep at any moment. And I think down Salzburg's left and uh, the, the, the Napoli right, they did fall asleep a little bit. And when at, at this level, any mistake will get capitalised upon. Yeah, who did you think was perhaps culpable in the Salzburg defence or everyone? <laughs> well, I told you at the time, you said I've been quite harsh, but I think Andre Romalio had, he didn't, he didn't have a great game, if I'm honest with you. And uh, you, you argued against that. Uh, we, so Tom and I had a long, long discussion post-game in, in the centre of Salzburg on the river. It was, it was very romantic, really. And <laughs> we had a long discussion about the game. And yeah, I, I was critical of Romalio. Tom, well, what did you think about Romalio? Do you think he was at fault or... Well, I think for that goal in particular, he was just sort of the last player. Yeah. Like, it, it looks like it's his fault because at the end of the day, he was out of position. But it was a nice bit of passing, nice bit of play down the Napoli right. They put the ball in. The header just released Dries Mertens. And uh, a player of such quality as Mertens is, he was able to exploit that. And Romalio was the last one back trying to salvage the situation. But I'm not sure it was Romalio's fault through and through. Um, question marks for me over Sitan Stankovic, though, in the Salzburg goal. Beaten as near post. Mm. It was a good finish, but it wasn't particularly, it wasn't really high into the roof of the net. It wasn't um, as good as perhaps some commenters have made out. I, I felt like Stankovic could have done better on that one. Yeah, I think so as well. I think if you're a goalkeeper and you get a beat at the near post, there's always going to be question marks. He should be saving it, I, I think, but he did make some good saves in that first half before he went off um, injured. Yeah, we'll talk about that briefly now. Stankovic pulling up with what looks like a hamstring injury, could be out for the next five or six weeks. And at half-time, actually, we mentioned uh, the man who came on to replace him, Coronel. And these were some of our thoughts from the Red Bull Arena after 45 minutes of action. Half-time here at the Red Bull Arena in Salzburg. It's Salzburg 1, Napoli 1. It's been a very entertaining first 45 minutes. Some good stats in the favour of Salzburg. Six corners they've had to one of Napoli. Three saves that the goalkeeper, Alex Mere, has been forced into. Just one for the Salzburg goalkeeper. That was Sitsan Stankovic. He went off with what looked like a hamstring injury just after the half an hour, and he's been replaced by Carlos Miguel Coronel. What a night for him. The crowd here cheering his 
every move, every save that he's made, every time he's gone on the ball, the crowd roaring their support for Coronel. What a time for him to come on unexpectedly in the Champions League. He's actually out here still on the pitch at half-time, doing some extra training to get match fit. But he's made a couple of good interventions so far, punched out some crosses and generally looked OK. But it's a massive second 45 for him. The fixtures set up for a great second half. And yeah, I mean, if Salzburg played the way they're playing right now, then they'll cause Napoli just as many issues in the second half as they did in the first half. In the second half, Salzburg couldn't quite find the same level of dominance, could they? Do you think Napoli are kind of... Were they a bit cleverer in the second half, perhaps? I think uh, the halftime team talk by Ancelotti, he must have said, you need to tighten this up. Salzburg are running all, all over us. In the second half, Napoli were much tighter. They, they constricted the Salzburg attack much, much more effectively. And yeah, I think Napoli were... We're the better team in the second half, but I think Salzburg can feel aggrieved that they didn't get something from the game. I mean, the two goals by uh, Dries Mertens and then Insigne directly after Haaland's equaliser, just a, a hammer blow. And I think Salzburg didn't recover from the immediate third goal. Their policy in the Austrian Bundesliga is simply to outscore every team. It doesn't matter how many goals they can see because they're going to score more. But I think when they get to this level, you can't really go with that policy. I think their defending needs to be much tighter, much better if they're going to you know, end up prevailing in this group or even having a run in the Europa League because you can't defend like that simply against teams of that quality. It might work in Austria, but it, it won't work in Europe. Yeah, I'll just talk through the, the Napoli goals in that second half. Um, I think it was it was Minamino who was a bit exposed down the right-hand side. I mean, it's not his natural position, of course, but Napoli were able to pass around the Salzburg players so simply down on the right for that goal, almost in a similar way to what they did for the first goal, actually, for, for Mertens. And then um, when Malcoui brought the ball across the box, there's a little bit of luck, deflection back off Ulmer, which uh, took the ball into the path of Mertens for a, a shot at the back post. It has to be said he took it well. And then, yeah, for the third goal, it was hard to even know. Most people in the stadium didn't even see much of the third goal, to be honest, because Salzburg were still setting themselves or resetting themselves after Haaland's equaliser. And uh, Napoli just went straight down into the box and uh, the shot from Insigne looped up off the outstretched leg of Romaglio and took it over the goalkeeper, Coronel. Um, yeah, pretty unfortunate, but... As you alluded to, you can't have lapses of concentration at that level. And uh, you wonder there whether it is a case of if they're not being tested quite enough in the Bundesliga, things like that are bound to come into the game. Because I don't really think any of the defenders had an, like, had an outstandingly bad game. I know some of the, the press are keen to point that out, but I don't think Salzburg did too much wrong defensively in the game. But they gave away three or four moments of which Napoli scored three of them. You know, it's sometimes at this level, maybe we just have to give Napoli the credit and say that they, they were incredibly efficient in the game. Yeah, there, there were two important goals because, I mean, the, the first one for Dries Mertens, it surpassed uh, Diego Maradona's Napoli goal-scoring record. So it was an important goal for him, a, a historic goal. He's now only five goals behind behind Hamsik, Napoli's all-time record goal-scorer. So that's uh, pretty impressive by Mertens. And the Insigne goal, yeah, the, the music was still playing when he scored. Like, we were shocked because we were tweeting about the Haaland goal, going mental about Haaland's header, which he left unmarked at the back post. And we were going mental. And then, then Insigne scores, and we are like... Oh no! <laughs> and we tweeted the Haaland goal after Insigne had scored for Napoli, which is quite interesting. There's not many more effective ways than that to knock the stuffing out of the challenge of a dangerous home side. And I really felt that if Salzburg could have uh, settled at 2-2, they would have presumably been the favourites then down the home stretch to, uh, to establish themselves and, and bring back their attacking potential and perhaps go on and, and get the winner. But that goal just absolutely 
knocked that on the head and uh, couldn't have taken the life out of Salzburg more effectively if they tried. We didn't really mention yeah, Haaland's second goal. It was a great, great movement in the box. Yunuzovic got uh, whipped in the cross and there plenty of Napoli defenders. But Haaland showed some, some really good attacking intent to get in between them and uh, knock the header in. It was a good night for him, wasn't it? To be fair, it was a defeat, but a good night for him. It was another good night for him. Yeah, he, he became the first uh, player, uh, the first teenager to score six goals in his first three Champions League games. The, the second teenager to score in his first three Champions League games, uh, along with Karim Benzema, which is uh, some illustrious company to have. And now 20 goals in 13 games as well. Yeah, it's, it's Haaland's world and we're living in it, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and I caught up with Erling Haaland after the game. He was incredibly self-critical given the nature of Salzburg's defeat. But this is what he had to say just after the full-time whistle had gone. Erling. Commiserations after a, uh, a tough defeat. It was a good performance from yourself personally. What do you think Napoli offered tonight, which perhaps they didn't offer when the two sides met in the Europa League just a few months ago? It's hard to say. Uh, um, uh, first of all, this number eight on uh, Napoli is uh, it's a fantastic player, and I think they developed everyone uh, in this team. So, uh, so uh, yeah, maybe this they developed. Do you feel like on the Salzburg side there was anything that you could have done differently tonight? Um, uh, yes, of course, but uh, that's not what I what I think about now. Uh, I think about that I should have scored more goals, and uh, I didn't, so uh, it's hard. You still got two goals tonight and had another one ruled out for VAR. Does that give you good confidence going into what are now really important games in the rest of the Champions League group stages? VAR took my goal, or what? I mean, the fact that you had such a good personal performance and you know could have even had another hat-trick, yeah, does that make you feel good ahead of these games? As I said uh, a couple of minutes ago, I should have scored more goals, so it's frustrating right now. Uh, and that's, to be honest, the only thing that I think about now. Were there some specific chances tonight that you think, well, that one should have gone in or I should yeah, have done better you, with that? You saw the first half, I should have, could, could have scored four goals then, so, so uh, yeah, the first half. I think that's, that's a little harsh on yourself, given the quality of the Napoli defence. I had the chances, so no. You obviously expect a lot from yourself, but it was an unfortunate result tonight. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's so really interesting to hear Erling Haaland being so tough on himself. Is that a sign of how good Salzburg have been and how high those expectation levels are raised? I mean, something that stands out to me about his character is that... We mentioned like with the penalty in the first half that he took. This is a teenage player. Why is he even taking the penalties in the Champions League first half? Surely there's a more senior, more experienced penalty taker in the squad. They've gone with Haaland. He's so confident. You know he's going to score. And you could see now, looking back at the highlights, you can see he's so disappointed with all of these chances that he didn't score. And really, I don't think there's any way you, you're looking at him. You're not really putting the finger of blame on him for any of those chances. There were some good saves. There was some great defending. Salzburg were very dangerous going forward. It just didn't quite work out for them. It was, it was just not really their day, was it? From the moment the VAR goal got ruled out, which was, again, by the way, a really well-taken strike from Haaland. He had so much to do receiving the blocked shot like that. And he put it away, he tucked it right in the corner. And then to be so self-critical after the game, I just wonder whether we've got a bit excited about Salzburg. And, and you know, there was even talk beforehand of Salzburg being favourites for this game. Let's just scale it back a little bit, you know, for a side who are actually on their debut in the Champions League, a coach making his debut in the Champions League, virtually all the players with their first appearances in the Champions League. Can you really be favourites against Napoli, you know, just off, off the basis of the first two games that were so impressive? D did we get a little bit carried away or, or was Salzburg still worthy of their hype in some regards? Well, it wasn't just us, it was everyone. I think uh, in a lot of the major betting companies, they had Salzburg as slight favourites as well. I think it's just 
a mixture of how fantastic they've been this season and also the home record. In fact, the last season that they beat Napoli at home and I think Napoli winning there is a slight upset, but obviously Napoli are a brilliant, brilliant football team. I don't think we get carried away with Salzburg. I think that they, I mean, the performance at Anfield just showed what they're capable of. I mean, they went to Anfield and they scored three goals. No one does that, you know? If you did that in the Premier League, people would be thinking, oh my God. But in this game, it was just, uh, it felt like the third goal killed them off. And the fact it was 35, 40 seconds after they'd equalised, I think they just didn't recover. And they are a young team. I think it was just a, 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 a real hammer blow to the excitement they had when they equalised. Yeah, and you've got to give some credit again to Napoli. You know, they are a top, top side. They're not Juventus, but they are a very, very good side. There's some amazing talents within that squad. There's some really established names, you know, some top, top names in the world of European football in that side. They took their chances. Credit to them. You know, no one comes to Salzburg and wins. Ancelotti, obviously a manager with an incredible amount of nous and incredible game management. And Salzburg and Napoli really did manage Salzburg out of the game very, very well. And you know, at some point we can be as disappointed as we like for Salzburg, but you have to say before the campaign, it was clear that we were looking at Liverpool and Napoli. Everyone was looking at Liverpool and Napoli as the two sides who were supposed to go through in that group. And the group is now shaping up that way, of course. Salzburg are still in it. Just on the mention of them losing this really, really long unbeaten run, we got a question on Twitter that was uh, about how that might affect them in the future. It's a thing that, that they've had on their side for so long now. That you, they must go into games with this confidence that you kind of know that you're just not expecting to lose. Like a, a, it's, a, it's a win or a draw, but loss just isn't really a result that you're, you're comprehending when the Salzburg players step out onto the pitch at the Red Bull Arena. Does that change things slightly now? I mean, I, I wonder what it's like. You know, there are other clubs who've been on incredibly long unbeaten runs and obviously that comes to an end at some point. Does it shake you? Does it, does it change things around or do they just go and build another one straight off the bat? I bet I'm going to say this and in a couple of days' time, Rapid Vienna are going to go to Salzburg and win. But my thoughts are basically that domestically, I don't think much is going to change. They're still 52 games unbeaten at home domestically. I could see that continuing for quite some time. Um, in Europe, I think perhaps... Teams will now feel, you know, this isn't so much Fortress Salzburg anymore. Napoli showed how it can be done. So perhaps perhaps when it comes to, to Europe, that might might knock them off their stride a little bit. But um, I still think that, that it's gonna it's a very hard place to go. They've got, uh, like, like you guys said, they have such a, especially in the European game, such a strong atmosphere, really good crowd behind them. And I, I don't think too much will change, really. The group situation in the other game, Liverpool beat Genk away four goals to one. So it's Napoli top of the group with seven, Liverpool six, Salzburg three after two narrow agonising defeats and Genk at the bottom of the group with one point. Uh, the draw, the solitary draw that they managed against Napoli. Is there a chance? It's only the halfway stage. We shouldn't be all doom and gloom. It, it's getting a bit annoying to, uh, you know, after, I think after the Liverpool game, we were able to hold our heads high with Salzburg and say, you know, what an effort. It was a similar level of effort against Napoli, really. You know, they actually put in a very, very good performance, as we've said. I, I, I think it's wrong to get two down on Salzburg, having only lost 3-2 at home to Napoli. You know, it's, it's not the end of the world. But the group stage is only halfway done. Do they have a chance still? And uh, what does this mean? What does this signify for the next games coming up, which look absolutely massive now? So if, if I'm correct, it's down to uh, Naples in the San Paolo next. And then it must be Genk away and then Liverpool at home on the last day in December. What are they looking out for now? How are, they, how are they looking in the group? I think that, unfortunately, this trip to the Sao Paulo now becomes a must-win game because, realistically, Liverpool have got this double-header with Genk. I think they'll comfortably win at home against the Belgians. And that's going to mean that 
realistically the likeliest team that Salzburg can overhaul by that point is Napoli um, and I think that they will need to win at the San Paolo they will need to, to beat Genk away and then maybe try and get a point or something against Liverpool because really you need about 9 or 10 points to get through but then again we said at the start of the season when we were previewing their campaign like you said Tom Napoli and Liverpool were the, the heavy favourites to go through and their debut campaign in the Champions League culminating in a run in the Europa League would not necessarily be a bad thing. I think if you're Salzburg now, you look at the Europa League and you think, I mean, we, we could potentially win the Europa League. I, think, I don't think there are many stronger teams. It depends who drops down, obviously, from um, the Champions League and one of Inter, Dortmund and Barca will drop down into the Europa League. But Salzburg won against Dortmund a couple of years ago. So, obviously, this season, it was all about the Champions League and qualifying from the group but I think a third place going into the Europa League with a real chance of going really far is not the worst thing for them I think it's a bit early days to be looking at the Europa League to be honest for Salzburg you just mentioned you know that this season's all about the Champions League for them and they've still got half of their Champions League campaign minimum still to go and why not Jesse Marsh said at the end you know we're still alive we're still we're still competing in the group and they are you know it, it would take a massive result so it's a very difficult place to go to the San Paolo and get a win but why not? They can give it a try. They're, they're still definitely in the group. And, and I think they've got to keep up this, this attitude that they've showed. They do need to tighten up in defence, of course. They've been, involved, they've been involved in 20 goals so far in their first three games, which is a record. Obviously, there's, there's a record that's very impressive on the attacking front, but it is also a record that suggests they leak a lot of goals in the Champions League too. Um, I think, is, is it 12-8 or 11-9, their, their goal record in those, in those 20? Sorry. Yeah, 11-9. So involved in 20 goals, but almost half and half in terms of the split, in terms of attacking and defending. So it's a, it's a nice stat, but it is an eye-opening stat as well, and they do need to tighten up. But I think there's reasons for optimism, and I think if you look at the Europa League as a backup, then it's a nice backup. But I hope Salzburg are not thinking about that at the moment. I have a question for you, Tom. Because uh, for the first game, I was on my own there, but you joined for the Napoli game. What was your impression of the Salzburg atmosphere for a big Champions League game? I mean, it was pretty special, wasn't it? You could feel the difference. And something I mentioned in the build-up was that they've played Napoli and we were there for the Europa League game against Napoli not so long ago. And Salzburg were brilliant on that day. They, they were orchestrated by Xaver Schlager, who's no longer there. But, but they were excellent on that day and ran out worthy winners in the end. But this was a different level. It was a different level in terms of the, the tension. It was a different level in terms of the excitement and the atmosphere. The Champions League really does bring so much to the club. And it's so important for them. And it's really nice that they've acquitted themselves so, so well. You know, realistically, we didn't really know what was going to happen with Salzburg. They've never been tested at that level. It's so hard to imagine. But they've proven, you know, even in their, in their two defeats, that they're, they're more than capable of, of competing at that level and, and really getting involved. And it's, it's been great. that The atmosphere was absolutely brilliant. You know, a sold-out stadium like that is it completely packed, sold out, good atmosphere from the away end, great atmosphere from the home end. You can't argue with that. As a football fan in Austria... It doesn't get much better than that, it has to be said. And I am thoroughly looking forward to the game against Liverpool. If that is to be their last home game in the Champions League this season, well, it'll be a special one. And most importantly, did you enjoy our drinks after? <laughs> well, the, the stroll down by the river to dissect the game late into the evening. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we could have. We, for those who didn't know, you know, the, the Champions League is sponsored by Heineken. So uh, 
you have a few beers after the game and we ended up down by the river in, in beautiful Salzburg in the middle of the night trying to talk our way through whether Andre Romalio, the Brazilian centre-back, had a good game or not. I feel like a bit of a third wheel here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Lee. You're lucky though, I'm envious. You got to see the Genk game when they won 6-2. That must have been incredible. You got to see the Genk game when they were 6-2. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lee. Oh, I've just made it worse. Oh, no. Oh, you got to see that. Somebody saw the Genk game, didn't they? Well, somebody will get to see the Liverpool game as well, hopefully. Final bits of housekeeping then from that game. Stankovic, the goalkeeper, out for six weeks. Beaten at his near post for the first goal. Didn't have a great evening, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, more serious than that. It looks like a hamstring injury, maybe six, five, six weeks out. Coronel coming in. Valka, the, the established, uh, the former number one for Salzburg. Uh, he's now... Older and, and has become the number two. Valka is also out with a long-term injury. So that falls straight away to Coronel. Um, and Coronel, the young Brazilian who looks like Alison Becker, which is not a bad person to look like if you're a, a young goalkeeper. He came on for just his second uh, competitive appearance for Salzburg in that game against Napoli. Wasn't at fault for the goals, I don't think. Couldn't do anything. But um, what does this mean for, for, for Salzburg going forward? It looks like they will have to go and play with him at the San Paolo. Is that, is that something that's a concern? I mean, it's hard to say, really, given that he's only played, you know, one and a half appearances now for Salzburg. So we don't know him too well. We don't know him too well, but obviously it's a very big step up for him to have to go to some really nerve-wracking places, the Sao Paulo, and then they've got to go away to, to Genk, which I know isn't necessarily a fortress of European football, but will still be tough. Um, so he's being really thrown in at the deep end. I presume that they'll be promoting one of their youth set up goalkeepers to now be the new backup so it's definitely going to be a big test and it doesn't really help that he's not being protected by the most solid defense in front of him like you said Salzburg have been shipping a lot of goals so he could have a fair bit of work to do in his first few full European appearances at the back for Salzburg anything they can do to improve their level in the Champions League to be honest um, the loss of Antoine Bernard protecting the back four in defensive midfield has really become noticeable They've conceded and scored a lot of goals in their game since the start of the season, but I think he was really somebody that, that kind of glued the team together, was part of a solid spine in that team. Obviously, Mwepu's done very well since coming in. Yunusovic, I feel, likes to get forward a bit more, so most of the defensive work now falls to Mwepu, and um, I just feel that Bened was was a difference maker earlier on in the season. Yeah, I think that's just a key point in general. Like with Burnett being out, like actually a lot of players have come into this defensive midfield role in, at Salzburg, and I think a lot of young players are doing really well there. Uh, Ashimiru as well, and Camera, but they tend to be really doing well going forward. And uh, yeah, perhaps the defensive load has has shifted a bit at Salzburg, and, and not for the better. Last one, the question that everybody wants to know, who's listening to an Austrian football podcast in English, how good is Erling Haaland? Is he as good as some people are saying he's potentially you know, top 10 hottest properties in the world right now? Others are saying, no, the Austrian league is nonsense. And it's, it's like I've seen it compared to like League Two or conference level in the UK, which, you know, also is kind of nonsense. But uh, wh- where does he fit? How, how can you grade him on this scale at the moment? I think the phrase you're looking for is a farmer's league. <laughs> That's uh, what often follows when people talk the Austrian Bundesliga on Twitter. I don't agree. I think Haaland's record, you just have to compare it to other strikers who have done fantastic in the Austrian league and he's surpassing all of them already he's 20 goals it's it's October the 25th like what <laughs> that's crazy to me the the argument about Haaland uh, only playing in the Austrian Bundesliga as well kind of goes out the window when he's banged in six goals in the Champions League against clubs like Napoli and, and Liverpool you know at that point the the Austrian Bundesliga comparison it, that, that's fine take his goals away in the Austrian Bundesliga if you want if you don't count that 
we'll just look at his Champions League record and that in itself is exceptional as well so I think you know it's a, it's a boost for the Austrian league and it's a boost for Salzburg and, and they've been a credit to European football on that note it's probably time to move on to the other level of European football the Europa League two games this week and the first one that we're going to start with was a tricky looking away trip for Wolfsberger the Corinthian side going to Istanbul Başakşehir in Turkey they were defeated 1-0 on the night another agonizing defeat this week for an Austrian side in Europe I'm getting a bit fed up of it um, I didn't see the game though so I'm going to pass this over to Lee how did uh, how did Gerhard Struber and his Wolfsburg side equip themselves in Istanbul Actually fairly well in the opening 10 or 20 minutes and I thought there was a genuine chance that they might become the first Austrian team to win in Istanbul since 1982. Um, they had a, a few good long-range efforts early on like Geb and Ritzmeier getting shots away but unfortunately the balance of play really shifted after the break and pretty much immediately after the break as well. Uh, Cavecci, who ended up scoring the only goal of the game, uh, pretty much missed with the goal gaping just 30 seconds into the, the second half and that really set the tone for the remainder of the game, unfortunately. It was a game where there were a lot of yellow cards dealt. Um, there were now yellows hanging over Lindel, Leitgeb and Solbauer, which is pretty much the spine of the Wolfsburger team. And considering they've had the same starting eleven for each of their three group games so far, they can end up being big blows if they were to, to be suspended. The goal came around about the between the 60th and 70th minutes, I think. A long ball from the right-back position. Cavecci controls it on the left wing, sort of dances past Solbauer a bit too easily and then rolls it into the corner. It was one of those goals where you think, yeah, it was a nice solo effort, but at the same time, the defending probably was a bit questionable. It's a bit unfortunate. But they're still, they're still in it, aren't they? They're still very much alive and kicking. Obviously, a defeat wasn't optimal, but in a group where there's so many draws, it's so tight and compact, the whole group separated by three points. And Wolfsburger will play Istanbul Basakta here at home in two weeks in Graz. I think that's an, an, an eminently winnable game for them. And then the final two, the cup finals, aren't they? Home to Gladbach and away to Roma, and going to the Stadio Olimpico knowing that you might be able to qualify is something that I think Wolfsburger would have been thrilled about when you told them before the group stages. Yeah, I think that's important to mention. Of course, we're disappointed that they've gone away to Istanbul and lost, but in the look ahead to the European group stage campaign for Wolfsburger, we said, you know, on paper, every team will be disappointed if they drop points to Wolfsburger at any point in this group. Everyone will see them as a side that they should beat uh, home and away, um, and that hasn't been the case. And so far at the halfway mark, they're right in the mix and, and you couldn't have asked for much more than that. They've got a win under their belt. They've got a great draw under their belt. Two historical nights, as we mentioned on the last episode. This one didn't turn out to be a historical night for them, but it wasn't far away and there was nothing wrong with the performance either, which I think is a very, very healthy sign for Struber and his side. You know, if things had just gone a little differently, they, they probably could have got something out of the game and they, they weren't wanting in too many regards. Um, and I just think it's great for them to be in the mix at this point. That, that's lovely. Three more games, three more games to go out there and enjoy themselves. No pressure. And we wondered whether they would be able to do that and go and just play with no pressure and enjoy the Europa League. And on the evidence that I've seen, it looks like they are doing that. I think they they really are. And despite the result, they were again last night because let's not forget this is a this is an Istanbul Başakşehir team with Gulbranson, who we of course know from last season at Salzburg, Robinho coming on, Gael Clichy. Uh, Martin Skirtle. It's like a who's who of the Premier League 10 years ago. This is, this is a, at least on paper, a, a decent team and they really didn't look, did not look out of their depth. And um, I was watching the game yesterday on Dazon and the, the Dazon commentator 
basically said, I can't remember the exact statistic, but the vast majority of teams in the Europa League that take four points from their first two games do tend to go through. Obviously, it is very tight in there now with, with Roma on five points, Basakshi here and Wolfsburg are on four, and Gladbach on two. Um, so it, it probably is very much up in the air. But if they could get a win over Basakshi here in the return fixture in Graz, then I definitely think that, that anything's possible in their remaining two games. Yeah, and a moment from European football this week that you might have seen already is the uh, the penalty that Gladbach got against Roma. Uh, it was in injury time, last kick of the game, basically, and the ball hit Chris Smalling, the English defender, absolutely square on the nose, and the referee somehow saw that fit to give a penalty for handball. Uh, an incredibly harsh decision, made a complete mockery of the Europa League, given that there's VAR everywhere else except the Europa League now. Um, so that looked pretty silly. But... I actually think that we had a bit of a disagreement about this. I actually think that Wolfsburg were beneficiaries from that in a way too, because I think it's too early in the group stage for the leader to run away with it, especially given that Wolfsburg got a point against that prospective leader in Roma. Um, I think if Roma had taken six points from the first two games, you'd want Roma to go on and and just win every game now and and take points off your prospective opponents for second. But as it is, it keeps the group so close that, you know, if, if you end up with a scraping a, a narrow win or something against Basak here or anyone, you could easily end up in the top two now. So, yeah, 5 four, four, two. The group doesn't get much closer than that at the halfway stage. And, uh, yeah, I think that's good fun. I think Wolfsburg are having a really good campaign and, and credit to them. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm crying tears for the UEFA coefficient with that loss because it just seems a little undeserved again. Talking of that coefficient... Um I know you love to talk about it, so why not spend a little bit of time on it? I was reading on the way here that now Austria have fallen quite a way behind the teams in 10th and 11th. I think they are now six wins, six European wins behind Ukraine in 10th place and three wins and a draw behind Turkey in 11th. That 11th, obviously, that position means an automatic Champions League spot for the is it 2021 season. But, I mean, that that's what... Salzburg have relied on obviously to to get this far so yeah it's a bit disappointing and it does seem now especially after losing to a Turkish team last night that um that that's going to be hard for them to get get that 11th place back this season so actually we need to have Salzburg in the Europa League then (laughs) to to get those wins back (laughs) go to semi-finals we win every game please do it Salzburg (laughs) so you actively want Salzburg to come third and make a run at the Europa League for the coefficient yes (laughs) I'll do anything for the coefficient. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. All right, then, uh, ignoring the coefficient for now, moving on to the third and final Austrian game or European game with Austrian interest this week. That was PSV Eindhoven, another side with an incredible unbeaten record at home. And they played Lask of Austria in their third game in the group. That one ended nil-nil after 90 minutes. It wasn't packed with too much action, but... I called it a creditable point, uh, an impressive point for Lask on Twitter, and I got hammered by fans from Holland. So I felt like they were being a bit bitter, but w- what did you make of it? I thought it was a, a creditable performance by Lask, really. They looked very shaky in the opening stages. You know, Bergwijn went straight through on goal, didn't he? Forcing a good save out of, out of Schlager in the 30 seconds in, and you got the impression, given PSV's excellent home record at that point, that it was going to be a very long night for Lask. But I think they... They grew into the game, survived a few scares, and then there were some excellent chances at the end that they'll be kicking themselves for missing, particularly Marco Ragutz, brilliantly played in by James Holland, who I thought had actually held on to the ball for a little bit too long there, but it was a, it was a, it was a lovely assist. And then Klaus with um, 
a header at the back post from a, a brilliant cross by Reinhold Ramphdahl. And that has to go in. That has to go in. There's, there's no other way to put it. That, that really should have been a goal. And we've, we've bemoaned on this podcast before Lask's chance conversion. And just to put it into perspective, because I know we've, we've received some comments saying, no, Lask are, uh, you know, they're good for a goal or two. But in the Europa League proper this season, so since the group stages have started, they have the fifth most attempts on goal in the Europa League with 50. And they have only two goals to show for it. So that is a real illustration, I think, of their their struggles. They're pretty much the opposite of Salzburg, really. When you think about Salzburg, there are goals at both ends and Lask seem to be goals at no ends um, because they are the first team as well, which you probably mention is quite impressive. The first team to stop PSV from scoring at home since mid-August. So there are, there are positives and negatives to take from the performance, but overall a, a very good point, I think. Often a nil-nil draw away from home against a bigger side is very like it's, it's squeaky bum time. They call it in English. You know, the, the clock is ticking down slowly. You're thinking, oh, I've got another half hour to hang on. It was nothing like that this time. The first half was where they were hanging on. Credit to them, they they did really well to do that. Schlager, the goalkeeper, brilliant. It, we were talking about Stankovic with his injury as well. I don't think it's a worry for Austria because I think they're going to be forced to play Schlager now, who's somebody that Franco Foda hasn't trusted. Um, in, in the Austria goal and I think Schlager's well up for it he's a young goalkeeper really positive really looking very very good and he made some incredible saves on the night especially one from Schwab there's a, a free kick came in and uh, Schlager just sort of came out to, to try and smother it and deflected it up onto the bar and it looked like a, a bad miss or it looked like a bit of bad luck for PSV at first but if you look, look more closely at that this is just a wonderful piece of goalkeeping from Schlager he does everything right and gets a little bit of luck that he's deserved from that and I felt in the second half, the clock wasn't ticking down slowly at all for Lask. Actually, it was looking quite even at that point. And you thought, yeah, PSV always looked dangerous in the game, of course. But, I mean, they haven't been beaten at home since, what, 2015 in the league? or In the league, in the league yeah. So, so in sort of regulation games in the league, uh, a run stretching back for so, so long. Basically, nobody goes there and wins. And so if you can't go there and win, go there and don't lose. You know, it keeps the group quite close as well. And, I think that's a really underrated result for Lask. And uh, yeah, the question is, could they have nicked it? And could they have be- become that first team to break the, the unbeaten run? Of course, Napoli have come to Salzburg and break it, broken their unbeaten run. It would have been lovely then if Lask had gone away to PSV and, uh, and done theirs on the same night. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Lask also still in with a fighting chance in the group, for sure. One win, one defeat and one draw. And will we be ruining their chance conversion in now in the games against uh, sporting where they just couldn't get a second despite a dominant first half and now against PSV where they couldn't get a first goal despite a dominant second half two of their final three uh, games are at home and we know that, that the Linterstadion is somewhat of a fortress for European nights well, what every old time English manager says is you win your home games and you draw your away games and she should be fine Lask have come very very close to, to, to doing that against their two biggest opponents in the group they just lost in Lisbon and they got a great draw in, in Eindhoven if they win those games at home, then they're going to be in the next round. I think Lask, um, there's a question on Twitter, who do we think is the most likely to qualify out of uh, all the three teams? And if I'm honest with you, I'm going to say Lask. I think Lask are in a great position to qualify. And with Wolfsburger, they are very, very tough teams to play. A Gladbach at home will be a difficult game. Roma away will be very, very difficult too. But I think Lask, Lask can do it. Yeah, that was nice. We got that Twitter question coming in. Um, who, who's the most likely to go through? Lee, what are your thoughts on that one? I think I would probably agree with, with Simon at, at this stage, just knowing the 
the magnitude of the some of the games that Wolfsburg have ahead of them. I think if I had to rank it, I would say last likeliest to go through Wolfsburg and next, and believe it or not, Salzburg probably third, just because I think being four points behind Napoli is a bit of a stretch right now. Yeah, I actually thought it was a really excellent question. It's, it's really difficult to give an answer to that. And I think on the positive side of that, that means all three sides are right in the mix. Nobody's looking dead cert to go through, but nobody's looking dead cert to go out either from the three Austrian sides. I'm going to say that I think Salzburg are the most likely to go through. Some, uh, some reaction to that around the table. <laughs> I, think, I think it's really close, and I'm not saying anything about the other teams. I just feel like Salzburg might be a bit of a... You know, they're, they're almost wounded by that defeat to Napoli. I wonder if that's going to be the thing that pushes Salzburg up in the league. I could be completely wrong, but they've been playing at such a high level for such a, a long time now. And Jesse Marsh has come in and somehow that level only seems to have gone up. And this is their first real test that they've come into under Jesse Marsh. They got a draw against Sturm um, in, at the weekend in the Bundesliga, which for them is a disappointing result. You know, needing to get a late goal to equalise, that's... Uh, a bit of a shock for them and then now they've lost their home be- uh, home unbeaten record as well I just wonder if now we're going to see a real fight back from them a, a real reaction and, and it's going to be one of the, the the trying periods that pushes Salzburg onwards and upwards I, I hope so and I feel like perhaps we'll see a reaction maybe they can get the results that they need perhaps a, you know a, a, an unexpected win against Liverpool at home or something might be enough to, to sneak them through and Napoli have a history of playing really well in the Champions League group stages and being really unlucky and going out somehow in third place so <laughs> maybe it's going to happen this time as well it's like a really unfortunate uh, result for Napoli we'll see them end up third but yeah who knows let's see on that one but I'm going very narrowly for Salzburg anything else to add for this week's European match day three episode there was another moment of Austrian interest in the Champions League with RB Leipzig, uh, RB Leipzig's Marcel Sabitzer scoring an absolute thunder bastard of a goal. Uh, <laughs> it was just excellent. It was a goal you dream of scoring. So he's, he's on the, f- the far right of the box. The ball comes to him and he drills the shot. It's, it could not be more perfect in the top corner. But the thing is, I don't think it was the best goal of the weekend, of the, of, of the midweek with... Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's goal in Salzburg's group against Genk. You should also check that out as well if you haven't seen that. But Marcel Sabitzer's goal was genuinely superb and you should watch it. Uh, yeah, good that you bring that up actually. Uh, Leipzig 2 Zenit 1 was also the first game in which two Austrian players have scored in a Champions League game since Austria-Vienna's campaign uh, back in about six or seven seasons ago. And funnily enough, that was also against Zenit St. Petersburg. So Zenit hate Austrian players, it would seem. But uh, yeah, I think Austria-Vienna beat Zenit St. Petersburg 4-1 about, about, about five, six years ago. 13-14 Champions League, yeah, sounds about right. And uh, yeah, it was Konrad Leimer and uh, Marcel Sabitzer who scored the two goals for Leipzig against Zenit this week as well. Yeah, good shout. My moment to check out from the Champions League this week was uh, Piatov, the goalkeeper for Shakhtar Donetsk, doing a ridiculous sort of foul slash dive on a Dinamo Zagreb striker in his own box and giving away a penalty for it just crazy it's like could could possibly be the the most stupid foul in the history of the champions league i love it <laughs> anyway i think that'll be that for the match day three episode of the other bundesliga podcast european edition we cannot wait for match day four really looking forward to it thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you for the next one cheers If you've enjoyed this episode, tweet us at Other Bundesliga and let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. All music on the Other Bundesliga appears courtesy of Gabriel Geber at Tongeber Studios. 
for something completely different, why not check out The Amelia Project, an audio fiction podcast co-produced in Vienna. <laughs>